Welcome to another edition of the TDN Writer's Room. My name is Bill Finley. I'm a correspondent for the Thoroughbred Daily News. Seemed a little wobbly today. I had root canal yesterday. Ugh. Oh. Oh. Yeah, not you don't seem to be. You don't seem to be slurring, so you seem oh, to be yeah. uh, You seem to be okay. I'm Randy Moss with NBC Sports. I'm on the road at a hotel, as you can see, so no Lucy today. But Zoe, you've got a, a canine companion there. Uh, yes, I'm here in Saratoga Springs and Fuzzy Buzzy is with me. So if you hear a barking dog a little bit later, this little terrorist will be the culprit. I can absolutely guarantee that. Doodle is fine. He's sleeping. We'll get to him a little bit later on. But great to be here, boys. Great week last week. Better week this week. I want to remind you that this week and every week we're brought to you by our good friends at Keeneland. Okay, so on the what have we done together? 50, 60 shows, maybe probably in about 59 of them. We've talked about changing the Triple Crown around, giving us our opinions on everything. And lo and behold, we had some news and big news out of the Stornet Group owners of Pimico Racecourse. And they said that they would like to and they're, the words are maybe even stronger than that, that they were very serious about moving the Preakness, to four weeks after the Kentucky Derby. And uh, I know that must have put a smile on Randy Moss's face. He's been a big advocate of spacing the races out. I have uh, become only recently an advocate of spacing the races out. So at first glance, this looked like a good thing. Lo and behold, wait a minute. What is the New York Racing Association going to do? They said, we're not interested in playing ball. We're going to keep the Belmont right where it is. Now, if we get a Preakness four weeks after the Derby and then a Belmont one week after the Preakness, got a big mess on our hands, Randy Moss. I don't know where this is all going, but right now, I think the thing is even more complicated than it was beforehand. And it's somewhat of a mess. And it'll be very interesting to see how this all plays out. Yeah, I mean, it'll be fascinating. I know First Racing uh, went uh, privately to Naira ahead of time and told them what their plans were and asked them if they would be amenable to switching the Belmont Stakes. And Naira uh, told First Racing, uh, absolutely not. We wouldn't be moving the Belmont Stakes. But look, if you're the Preakness, they really don't have a choice, right? That I mean, given what's been going on with the Preakness, it's been... It's been like a slow death over the last decade or so because of the two-week gap. And this year, they had a, a very weak Preakness field. The attendance and handle cratered at Pimlico, and they need to make the change. Now, there's there are many reasons, as we've talked about, that the change needs to be made uh, just from the standpoint of, of strengthening, of, of getting the Triple Crown, horse racing's marquee event back to the status that it used to be, where the best three-year-olds run in all three races. But in, now with the situation, honestly, Bill, I don't think Naira has any logical choice but to move the Belmont, okay? Look at it this way. There are all sorts of reasons why the 
the Preakness needed to be moved. But look at it now, since they brought up the point, from a horse safety viewpoint. Okay? I mean, we know that trainers uh, abhor coming back in two weeks. Part of it is because they don't think their horses can perform as well in two weeks. But we've talked to horsemen. We know that they think that horses are not as sturdy, they're not as durable as they used to be. So it is a horse safety issue as well for trainers as to why they don't want to run back in two weeks. We've seen a rash of horse deaths and breakdowns at Churchill Downs. We saw having a meltdown on the undercard of the Preakness breakdown. We've seen Maple Leaf Mel and a horse the very next day at Saratoga in New York break down. Now, what happens if nothing changes in the Triple Crown and we get another Barbaro in the Preakness? Imagine the outcry that we would hear uh, if a horse came back in two weeks from the Derby, a Derby winner, no less, and broke down. So in that scenario with where we are right now in horse racing, you know, I, I don't think for all their belly aching right now, I don't think Naira has a choice. And I think they should move the Belmont. And honestly, I don't think they like to be dictated to by first racing. I mean, there's some rivalry there, obviously. Uh, and they viewed the Preakness for a long time as sort of like the uh, uh, the weak link in the Triple Crown. I think both Churchill Downs and Belmont have really uh, sort of like the, the stepsister, stepbrother. But uh, I do think that the Belmont will wind up moving and I think it'll be a good thing. Just personal opinion. I don't have any inside information there. And I think it, the information came out earlier than I believe First Racing wanted it to. I think maybe they had wanted to get in alliance with Naira first. I mean, I don't know, but I, I know that it came out sooner than perhaps they wanted. So they're going to have to try and figure it out. Horse safety is first and foremost with every single corporation nowadays, every racetrack should be thinking of that first and foremost. And I mean, the Preakness has not been a good race over the past few years. It, it simply hasn't. I mean, you can say it hasn't been a good race. You can say it's horse safety. I'm in agreement. It should move. They should all move. They should all be on the first Saturday, have all three races a month apart and solve the problem. I don't know how they're going to get around with it if Naira doesn't come around, to be perfectly honest. I, I don't think so. And then you talk about tradition. 13 horses have won the Triple Crown, right? Well, eight of those, it wasn't the traditional spacing. Eight times it wasn't the traditional. So, I mean, what are we all crying about? I said this to someone in the press box the other day. They were like, tradition, tr tradition. I'm like, well, the eight times we've got Triple Crown winners. You're not talking about those ones that ran back in three days. The Belmont was on this month. It's... It's not really about tradition. It's about safety and making these races better and showcasing the best of our generation in a safe, as safely as we can possibly do it. Twice they've moved the date of the Derby, 1945 and 2020. One was because of the war and the other one was because of COVID when Authentic won it. So it can be done. I mean, I'm not looking at Authentic and thinking he didn't win the Derby because it was in September. Of course he won the Derby. People have forgotten about that. That's three years ago. People have already forgotten that Authentic won the Derby in September. So it's, it's not going to take long for this to get going. I actually listened to the Nick Luck podcast last week, and he had D. Wayne Lucas on. And it was really interesting listening to Wayne, who's for it, 
I mean, this is this is Wayne is for a change in it. And this is what Wayne said on there. He's also for a distance change. He has the feeling that, and I'm not in agreement with this, that uh, the Derby should be run at a mile and eighth. The Preakness stays at a mile and three sixteenth and the Belmont should be a mile and a quarter. And it was just very interesting listening to someone that's been around for so long, who was the master of the Triple Crown. So Wayne was talking about that, the distance change way back in the 80s. Yeah, Randy, I, I agree with 90% of what you had to say. And the main thing is that, that the point is that we need the best horses to run throughout the series. And the Preakness needs to make this move. But I'm not so sure Naira won't play hardball here. And here's why. It's in their best, what the, what we have now is in their best interest. And in horse racing, we have no commissioner, we have no league. It's every man for themselves. And for Naira to move the Belmont, it would be good for the sport of horse racing, but it wouldn't be good for Naira for a couple of reasons. First of all, they're the ones benefiting from this because they get all the, 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 they get the second, third, fourth, fifth, seventh, eighth, and ninth place finisher out of the Belmont, excuse me, out of the Derby that doesn't run back in the Preakness. They get a better race because of the horses all, uh, so many horses ducking the Preakness. That's one. Number two, it's also with their benefit for the Preakness to stink. Because if the pre, if the Derby winner can beat a, a Grade Three type field, then he's going for the Triple Crown. That's number two. Number three, they've got this great card they've put together with all these big races, huge handle. Do you want to have to restructure all that? Number four, if you move the Belmont back, you're messing with the Jim Dandy and Travers. Who knows how that will play out? I have already written. I'm already on the record saying Naira needs to make this change. Not for Naira, but for the good of horse racing. Exactly. Because the Triple Crown is struggling and the Triple Crown is too important to this sport for it to go. You know, the, the, you know, like you said, where the, the Preakness ratings are down and the betting is down. And, you know, right now, n- nobody cares about the Preakness except maybe the Derby winner and not always the Derby winner. So, but I'm, I hope I'm wrong about this, but I'm not a hundred percent sure that Naira at the end of the day won't play hardball. And on top of that, if they want to go head to toe to toe with the Preakness, they got all the money they know what to do. They have more money than they know what to do with it. Belmont becomes a $5 million raise. Yeah. I mean, you may, uh, you may be right about that, Bill. Uh, I totally agree with your, uh, with your take on, uh, you know, it, that it needs to be moved. Look, major sports, all major sports throughout their history have had key players within the sport, key owners. Of, of franchises that made decisions that were against their own best interests, but were for the good of the sport. Look at the NFL way back in the day. They used NFL used to not even have a draft. The, the most successful teams could pay the highest salaries to the rookies coming out of college and they would get all the best players. But they decided the key owners decided that it was better for the smaller teams and thus better for the future of the NFL if they had a draft to where everybody could share equally and the best players and the worst teams would get the first pick. I think Naira needs to take a page out of that. I I have confidence that they will decide to do something that's for the best interest of the sport uh, and is not self-serving. If they don't, Bill, I know they're going to try to portray first racing and Pimlico as being the bad guys. 
who came in and disrupted tradition and blew up the Triple Crown. But I think it'll be Naira that should be portrayed as the bad guy if this if this uh, doesn't work. I concur. I mean, it needs to change. Two weeks, make it three weeks, make it a month. It, it needs to change because we need all three races to be good races. We need people to look forward to. We need a festival on each first Saturday of each month for those three races. And it can be done, but it just will take all these horse racing parties to get together, which seems to be problematic in having everyone on the same page. Not, not even just in horse racing, in life generally. People just love to argue. So we'll, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. I read your piece this morning, Bill. It was very good. Thank you. Thank you. Well, at the end of the day, um, it is still a dysfunctional sport and uh, <laughs> horse racing doesn't always get it right. So let's hope they get this right. And um, I get, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, we went three for three here. All three of us believe it should be changed and believe that Naira needs to, you know, be the big boy here and, and go along with it. Four weeks, four weeks, four weeks, and we'd have a lot better. All right. Well, I'll tell you someone who has got it right. The TDN Writers Room is brought to you by Keeneland. And the Keeneland catalog is out now. You'll need a lot of time to go through this catalog. It's online right now. And they have 4,194 horses cataloged. And for the third straight year, the sale kicks off with a two-day book one, followed by a two-day book two. The 12-session auction includes one dark day, which I will be crying for. That is on September the 15th. Successful Keeneland sale grants this weekend included Rhyme Scheme. He was ultra impressive. He won the Saratoga Special, the Sorrento winner, Dreamfire, and the newest TDN rising star, Deterministic, who absolutely crushed in a Saratoga maiden race. All three were purchased at last year's September sale. Keeneland is home of the World's Yearling Sale. The energy, magic, and momentum of the Keeneland September sale runs through September the 11th through the 23rd. Learn more at theworldsyearlingsale.com. We'll be right back after this message from Keeneland. If this place could talk, it would roar. It would say, this is a racing this beating heart in the heart of horse country. Steady and strong beneath the roar, reminding us why, for the love of the horse, for generations to come. The TDN Writers Room is brought to you by Stone Street. We have just completed the first major yearling sale of the year at Saratoga and Stone Street Breads were in demand. Stone Street's four colts bought just under $4 million, topped by the $1.5 million colt by Intermischief out of none other than Rachel's Valentina, purchased by Eclipse Thoroughbred Partners. The Quality Road colt out of I'm a Looker sold for $1.1 million to Ammo Racing. Grandview Equine scooped up the authentic colt out of Supreme for $800,000. And Mike Ryan came home with the Spitestown Leslie May colt for 485,000. Watch out for 59, no fewer than 59 Stone Street breads at the upcoming Keeneland September yearling sale, September the 11th through the 23rd. The guiding focus of Stone Street is to breed and develop quality thoroughbreds with strength, stamina, and class. Stone Street, 
Born to Run, Raised to Win. And now in this week's Saratoga Minute, the spotlight is on two-year-old no-name Matt, the Colt that is a two-time stakes winner and is being pointed for the Skidmore Stakes on Friday at Saratoga. Katie Petruniak caught up with the trainer of no-name Matt, George Weaver. I do some business with Kieran Dunn and the horse was in the OBS sale and um, the horse RNA'd for I think around 350, 335. Anyway, Kieran gave me a call. You know, they didn't get what they wanted for him and he had an idea to uh, try to make the race at Gulfstream. There was a uh, Ascot prep and he asked if I could do it and I said, sure, I'll give it a try. So he went straight from the sale to me and um, he's been straightforward and a very smart colt from day one. You know, nothing phased him. We shipped him to Gulfstream to work out of the gate. We shipped him to run a Gulfstream. We shipped him to England. We shipped him back. And he's he's just never missed a beat the whole time. And and a really classy acting colt. And I think he's grown and filled out a little bit as time has gone by. His speed is his asset. And, you know, he came back in Monmouth and we used his speed and it just worked out a lot better. It's hard early on with these two-year-old races to know exactly what you're running against. But when you win by five lengths, on the grass, you know, it's, it's a pretty big margin sprinting on the grass. He's always had a bunch of quality and obviously races keep getting tougher as the year goes on, but we're looking forward to seeing, you know, getting him to the Breeders' Cup and seeing what he can do in between now and then. The Saratoga Minute is brought to you by Naira Bets. Sign up now from, for Naira Bets and get your matching deposit of $200. Here's how it works. You can bet any track, anytime, anywhere. Just make a deposit within 30 days of signing up for your account. Bet twice the amount of that initial deposit and Naira Bets will give you a wagering credit up to $200 equaling your initial deposit. All you have to do, go online, sign up, use the code SPA200 to begin qualifying right now for your matching deposit. No Name Mets, owned by third baseman Alex Bregman of the Houston Astros. I'm trying to figure out why I didn't name the horse No Nay Astros. Wouldn't that have made a little bit more sense? So, all right, guys, uh, a review of last weekend's races. Uh, we're going to have Lee Einsteiler, the co-owner of Casa Creed, the winner of the four-star Dave, on in a little bit. So we don't need to go too deep into that because we talk a lot about it uh, with Lee. But uh, what a neat horse. And, you know, one of the stories, the, the, the race, and, and Lee addresses this, was the rematch with Annapolis. And uh, the, everybody projected the trips the two horses were going to get. And, and people thought that Annapolis was going to get the jump on Cassock Reed this time. And that would make all the difference. He did get the jump on him and it didn't make any difference at all. It was a repeat of the Kelso with Cassock Reed finishing first and um, Annapolis finishing second. But, um, you know, just got to love a seven-year-old grade one winner. He's a stallion, not even a gelding. And, uh, you know, we need more war horses like this in the game. I mean, Annapolis went off the favorite. Uh, Lee, right. we'll, talk, we'll talk about that a little bit later. They were side by side, Casa Creed and Annapolis, through the first part of the race. And then Annapolis kicked away from him. And turning for home, guys, I, I thought Casa Creed had no chance. Annapolis is ridden by Ired Ortiz, just cruising up to the leader. Meanwhile, Luis Saez is riding Casa Creed for all he's worth and not making up any ground. At the eighth pole, I thought it was Annapolis. At the 16th pole, I thought it was Annapolis still. But Casa Creed was just so determined. And again, 
uh, got in front of Annapolis and really, uh, Zoe, I thought it was an outstanding performance. I'm with you. Even 10 jumps before the wire, I'm like, oh, he's going to be second. You know, I Rad Ortiz, he got a jump. What a great ride by Arad. But Casa Creed refused to lose at seven years old. There's not many seven-year-olds that show that kind of gumption. And not many seven-year-olds have been around the world once already this year and come back to their winning form. Casa Creed lost a heartbreaker over there in Saudi. Just, he got pipped by a nose and Bill Mott has done a masterful job of bringing him back into tip-top shape. Seven years old, sky's the limit. We've had the Sultan in Saratoga. He's going for the governor of Saratoga right now is Casa Creed and, and he's got all kinds of angels on his shoulders. It's a good story and we will be delighted to have him at Santa Anita. Really cool story moving forward for Lee. The Arlington Million races after a year being run at Churchill Downs, two years from being run at Arlington Park, moved this year to Colonial Downs. As we talked about on the show last week, I gave Churchill Downs some credit for keeping these races alive. Randy wasn't nearly as kind to them, not at all, about that. But um, we got out of the Colonial Arlington Million races what it looked like we were going to get. They were pretty meh, weren't they? Yeah, you know, we didn't get any foreign horses that we're accustomed to getting coming over for the million, especially, right? You would have expected Charlie Appleby to come up with something. But hey, we got a storyline. Seven-year-old Casa Creed wins the four-star day. Seven-year-old set piece wins the Arlington Million. It was all about the pace. It was an ex it, There were 10 turf races at Colonial Downs on Saturday. This was the fastest paced race, the Arlington Million, of any of the 10. And it was at a mile and a quarter. It was an 11-horse field. The horses that were at the back early, that were 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, and 11th, finished 1st, 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th. Set piece came from last and rolled down the stretch to win. I thought it was an outstanding performance for the runner-up, the defending champ, Santine, who was right up there on the pace all the way. He was the only survivor of the pace that was still there fighting at the end, and he was only beating a couple of links. Uh, so even though set piece was a deserving winner, uh, I thought Santine, when you look at the pace, probably ran the best race of any horse in the field from a handicapping perspective. They had to get the same bias speed figure somewhere along the lines because that was a grueling race for Santin. Just watching that, I'm like, there's no way he can keep this up. And set piece was so far back. I'm like, there's no way he's catching them. Made Florent Giroux look like a genius. He rode a very good race, but he certainly had a lot of horse under him to do so. I was speaking to Blake Cox, Brad Cox's son, the next day. And I'm like, wow, that was impressive. He goes, yeah, it took us three years to run in the right distance. And started <laughs> laughing. <laughs> I think he's going to stick around for a little while longer. But it, it, that was a good race. The others, maybe not so much. It has yeah. lost its vim and vigor because... I think everyone thinks that the Arlington Million died with Arlington, and it didn't. Now, this time of year, Saratoga and Del Mar were used to seeing some really good two-year-olds. And I think it was, uh, both meets are a little bit slow to, to get any horses that really caught your uh, attention. But, boy, there were two this weekend, one at Saratoga uh, um, and one at Del Mar. And, of course, uh, um, this doesn't include some of the maiden winners, which were pretty impressive, too. But I'm talking about the stakes races. So on uh, Saturday at Saratoga in the Saratoga Special, Rhyme Schemes wins by nine and a half lengths for trainer Norm, not Mark, 
Trainer Norm Cassie's by Go Sapper got a 94 buyer figure. Now, generally, the, the horses that win these races at Saratoga, the, uh, including the hopeful, uh, you don't hear much about them come Kentucky Derby time. But this guy, maybe you will. Randy, 94 buyer, wins by nine and a half. He certainly looks like the best two-year-old in New York right now. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Zoe, you're at Saratoga. What about, uh, what about him as a physical specimen? What's he like? He's a hunk. He really is. A- <laughs> <laughs> He's all ghost zapper, a really good looking horse. We hadn't seen a lot of him up here in the morning, just the one work from him. But he ran, you know, you could say he regressed in his Saratoga special. He had a 94 by a speed figure when he won at Ellis. So he's just trotting along. I think sky's the limit for him. He, he is a good looking son of ghost zapper. He's all man for sure. Rhyme schemes. Very, very impressive for him. You know, he wasn't exactly breaking watches in the morning before his career debut in May at Churchill Downs. He was six to one against a fairly modest field. I went back and watched the replay. I watched the pan shot. I watched the head on. He had no excuse. He just he just didn't run. And then he comes back at Ellis Park a month later against a tougher field in which four horses have already come back to win their next starts in Maiden Special Weight Company. Uh and he looked like a, a completely different horse. Blinkers were on, but Norm Cassie said it was different than that. He said he had a focus problem, and he just learned a lot from that first start. He said he still was a little bit unfocused, uh, even this past Saturday. But uh, he's a horse with a bright future, definitely. But, Bill, I thought the best pal, though, was the was the real, real star of the two-year-old weekend. Yeah, I mean, no doubt about it. Well, Prince of Monaco, boy, did he put on a show for Bob Baffert uh, in the uh, best pal out at Del Mar. And uh, talk about buyer numbers. And, and, and Randy, put us in perspective. Horse ran, uh, first of all, 11 times Baffert has won this race. Um, and he wasn't even the favorite. He goes against this other Baffert monster, Muth. Uh, Juan Hernandez chose to ride Muth. They fly in Flavian Pratt for Prince of Monaco. And uh, one to two on Muth, nine to five on Prince of Monaco. And, he, you know, he doesn't run like a precocious speedball, uh, six furlong, two-year-old, uh, uh, you know, just a, a horse that's winning on raw speed. And he, he sat from off the pace. He went by Muth like the horse was standing still. Yeah, uh, this horse was fantastic and got a 103 buyer. For Baffert, and there's nothing wrong with the runner-up either. But uh, yeah, I mean, if if, if we want to say who's the best two-year-old in the country right now, oh. well, as much as I had good things to say about Ryan Schemes, there's no doubt about it. This is the horse, Prince of Monaco. Yeah, I mean, Muth was up on some pretty taxing fractions, but you know, Zoe, when you have a horse that runs that fast as a two-year-old and comes from well off the pace like that, uh, that's really impressive. He was super impressive, and I mean, Flavian was just sitting on him. He knew he had a lot of horse under him. Muth is quick. He worked quick at the two-year-old sales. They paid a lot of money for him. He was quick breaking his maiden. He's quick, but Prince of Monica's, Monaco's got a couple extra gears, I feel. And it's I like to see how they win their races like that. And he was terrific. Absolutely terrific. And galped out an awful long way in front. He was by far the most impressive. Although Christophe Clement unleashed a very nice colt this past weekend breaking his maiden at Liam's map called the name deterministic deterministic he was pretty awesome as well coming from off the pace 
Also winning at Saratoga this weekend, guys, was a Pennsylvania bred. The TD and Riders Room brought to you by the Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association. That was on Sunday, second race on Sunday, maiden special weight on the turf. The horse's name was Dancing Spirit, Pennsylvania bred, bred by Glenn Brock, trained by Adam Rice, who won a couple of races on Sunday's card at Saratoga, shipping in from Presque Downs, also Colonial Downs earlier in the week. Saw a maiden special weight bred in Pennsylvania, a winner named Wise and Elegant. That one bred by Blackstone Farm. Other Pennsylvania bred news, Angel of Empire. We'll get some R&R at Windstar Farms uh, facility in Kentucky. Brad Cox decided he needed a bit of a break, so they will prepare Angel of Empire now for his four-year-old season. Of course, he was uh, third in the Kentucky Derby, won the Arkansas Derby, and most recently a really good third in the Jim Dandy. And how about the that horse, that two-year-old, the Pennsylvania bred, trained by Adam Rice, Linda Rice's nephew, six four nine in his career at Saratoga. He won the race later, the stake race later on the card. So uh, Aunt Linda has apparently taught uh, her young nephew, Adam Rice. I think Adam well. is four for five at Saratoga the last few years as well. When he comes up, he means business. The PA Horse Breeders Association presents the Pennsylvania Stallion Series. Six races for PA Sire, PA bred two-year-olds at parks. Two $100,000 contests at five and a half furlongs. On August 21st, PA Day at the Races. September 23rd, PA Derby Day has two races at six and a half furlongs, both with a $150,000 purse. And in December, two races going long, each worth $200,000. For more, go to pabred.com. The Fastest Horse of the Week brought to you by the Fast Stallions of Windstar Farm. We'll get to the horse in a minute. We've already talked about him, actually. But the uh, the stallion that we're focusing on this week from Windstar, we have before. Here's a reminder. Nashville was a very, very fast racehorse. Nashville was a TD and rising star, winning his debut by 11 and a half lengths. It dominated a Keeneland allowance. In his second start, that was by nine plus links and 109.10. And remember the track record at Keeneland on the Breeders' Cup undercard, six furlongs, 107.89, faster than the Breeders' Cup sprint. Then he came back and ran the fastest six furlongs at the fairgrounds later in his career. Nashville, very fast, standing stud at Windstar Farm. Now, our fastest horse of the week, Prince of Monaco, with that 103 buyer speed figure. So I went back into the record books, guys, since the buyer speed figures were first published officially in 1992. The best pal marks the 36th time that a Bob Baffert trained two-year-old has equaled 100 or better on the buyer speed figure scale. How about that? 36. Now, the only question becomes, will Prince of Monaco become a classic type horse like some of the others on that list? American Pharaoh, Point Given, Real Quiet, Silver Bullet Day, or will he be more like an excessive bull or Das Stoops or Hijazi? That's the big question still remains that remains to be answered about our fastest horse of the week. But boy, was he fast in the best pal, Prince of Monaco. The TD and Riders Room also brought to you by the Green Group, the tax consulting and advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry. And as Lynn Green will tell you, specializing in saving you money 
on your taxes. And we welcome in now the Green Group Guest of the Week, Mr. Lee Einseidler, who owns Casa Creed, quickly becoming one of the most popular horses in Saratoga. The reason why he's good, he's consistent, and he's seven years old. Lee, this meet so far, two stakes wins, the Kelso and the grade one in the four-star Dave. At age seven, is he better than he's ever been? Well, he's as good as he's ever been. He ran 101 buyer and in the uh, four-star Dave, and remarkably, he ran the same exact time winning the four-star Dave this year that he ran last year. Last year, he ran it on a firm track. This year, he ran it on a good track, which is not his favorite surface. So maybe there's an easy argument that Saturday was the best race of his career. So you said in the aftermath of the four-star Dave, you've been betting on the horses for 50 years. You've been owning horses now for a few decades. What has this ride been like for you that Casa Creed has taken you on? Uh, Randy, it's been unbelievable. Um, Kenny Peake picked him out. We bought him for 105000 He said to me, I think he could run early. He's probably grass. He might be dirt. That was pretty prolific because he won off the turf when he broke his maiden on only six days rest in Saratoga. Um, but you've been around the game for a long time. You can never imagine, no matter what a horse costs, that you'd win $2.5 million in purse money. He would take you halfway around the world twice that at seven years old, he'd be running as good as he's ever run, and that you would win four grade ones, two sprinting, and two going a mile. My good buddy, Andy Sterling, told me he can't recall a horse ever on the grass winning two grade ones sprinting and two grade, uh, grade ones in a mile. So it's been enormous. It's been fabulous. And I don't think the story is uh, fully written yet. We have uh, a big race coming up, hopefully. We get a couple good months of training out in California in the Breeders' Cup. And I'm already kicking the idea of bringing it back next year. So wow, it would be great. Wow. Well, Lee, first off, a massive congratulations. I am a big fan of Casa Creed's. I go around and see him in the morning and say hi to Erna, Irma, and she gives me carrots. Right. Right. Irma's so, great. Yeah, Irma's the best. She's the linchpin at the Bill Mott Barn. But what is it like for you being so intricated with Hall of Famer Bill Mott, because you two have become very close over the past few years. Yeah, we've become very close. You know, just as a kid, betting races and going to the track, I was in awe of Bill Mott. There were trainers growing up here in New York, New York-based, and he was a big favorite. And when he was not in California, when he was in New York, uh, Bobby Frankel was, you know, amazing to watch, as was Alan Jerkins. But I was always a huge fan of Bill Mott. I had known his background, being from South Dakota and working in tracks in Exarbon in Nebraska, where I went as a young man when I was living out there and ran in Detroit, he ran in Chicago, and then he became the leading trainer in the history of Churchill Downs. Dale Romans eclipsed that a few years ago. So I had um, great awe, great appreciation for what he did. And when I was looking to get a trainer, somebody introduced me to Bill Mott. Um, we met in Gulfstream in a suite down there, and I was annoyed just to be in the same room with him. And we compare our ideas and our philosophies, and it's been great ever since. As great as a trainer he is, youngest trainer in the history of the Hall of Fame. When people ask me about him, I say as great of a trainer he is. He's a better person, amazing guy. We developed a great friendship. We spent a lot of time together away from the track. And I tell people that on days that I either speak or with Bill Mott, it's a better day. That's how I feel about Bill Mott. 
Lee, you just mentioned that you might bring Cassacree back next year as an eight-year-old. I think a lot of people will hear that and assume that he's a gelding. He's not. No, he's not a gelding. It's a stallion. Is there any interest? Now, the good news is he's a hell of a horse. He's a grade one winner. The bad news is, as we all know, the stallion market is not that fond of turf horses. Right. So what... What has, have you heard from any stallion farms? Have you kicked the tires about uh, retiring them as a stud? Where where does that stand? So as as I know you're aware, in two years, we'll have a synthetic track at Belmont. So if we did a stallion deal for him to stand next year, his first crop would be ready to run when that new synthetic track is in. So there's already a lot of interest from some farms in New York to do something with me in New York, which is very gratifying given the synthetic track, the timing would be perfect. Um, But it's important to understand for me, I have a very good day job. People get motivated to do stallion deals for financial reasons. I'm all about racing. We certainly want to give Cossacreed the best afterlife after racing. Um, But now I'm confident given what's going on with Belmont and the synthetic track that will come in a few years We'll have, um, we'll have good options. We also know that folks from Japan are very interested in Casa Creed. They've been to the barn. And um, I think we'll have some other um, other people interested in well. There are, there are a few farms in Kentucky that are starting to really think about it, especially after what happened this past Saturday. It's just hard to ignore a horse if you get to surface. It's won four grade ones. It's had longevity. It wins sprinting. The wind's going long. So I'm sure we'll get that we'll get that figured out. For me, it was all about focusing on this past Saturday, and now we're thinking about the Breeders' Cup. But I'm sure we'll have. Uh, I think we'll be able to have the pick of the litter, actually. So Lee, you've been joined uh, on this ride with Casa Creed by your ownership partner Mike Francesa, the New York yeah. Uh, yeah. sports radio legend. You guys had a horse called High Oak that won the Saratoga Special a few years ago. So you've yeah. had some success with Mike. How did that partnership get started? So in the late 1990s, 1997, I was running a company, the Sydney Frank Company. We're the company that made the product Jägermeister popular. You might have drank too much of it back in college, <laughs> back in the day. And myself Maybe. and a couple of our people in the company created a brand called Great Goose Vodka. And I was a big fan of the Mike and Mad Dog show. And we started promoting it on the show. I don't believe in classical advertising. We didn't run ads. We paid, but we paid for them to make it part of their life. So Mike would say on Monday, we had a great time Friday. We had a big celebration. And I was drinking Grey Goose martinis and Roe was drinking Grey Goose Cosmopolitans. And that was the end. And Grey Goose became, you know, a grade one winner, as you know. So that was our relationship. And through that business relationship, I became aware that Mike loved racing. His first partner in racing was Bill Parcells. As time went on, that partnership dissolved. And Mike and I started fooling around with some horses, um, not with a lot of success, but obviously we were very successful and continue to be very successful with Casa Creed. High Oak is an amazing racehorse. If you go back and look at what happened, if you didn't see the race at Saratoga three weeks ago, you know, Randy, we were never sure we were going to get him back to being high oak after he fell in the fountain of youth. He was very, very nervous in his races, and he would pull himself up. So we just kept training him in the morning and doing the best we could with him. But in the morning, he was great. The afternoon, when he had more company, he got nervous, 
And then when we ran them down State Labs, Johnny Velasquez wrote them. And I'm very close to Johnny. And after the race, he said, don't give up on this horse. Much better. He'll do really good in Saratoga. So I wanted Johnny to run him in Saratoga, but Johnny had gotten hurt. So I said, let's give Katie Davis a chance. She wrote him on the grass downstate. We just said, let's try. Might be a good experience for him. So giving somebody like Katie a try was great. He spotted the field 17 lengths, ran second, missed by a half a length. So I think we're going to see a really, really tough eye oak next time out. There's a race for him. On Travers Day, there's an allowance race. But I didn't tell Bill Mott. I also made him... I also nominated him for the four go. <laughs> so it's a short field. Maybe we'll take a shot. If you're ever going to take a shot anywhere, I learned a long time ago. You do it, Saratoga, in a grade one. So, and that was going to be my next back. question. Yeah. Like, where is High Oak going to run? But thank you for answering that. You it's mentioned probably the race, but maybe the four listen to my nonsense. But we'll see. Ultimately, Bill will decide. I'm always looking for inside scoop here at Saratoga. You mentioned yeah. a maiden on Sunday that might be running. And then yes. I need an update on Reynolds' channel because every single person I spoke to last week in the hot Saratoga maiden race told me, Lee Einsiedler loves his horse, will not lose. No, well, no. What's, what's going on Reynolds', Reynolds channel. channel? So first on Sunday, we'll enter tomorrow. I have a horse, Silo Ridge named after a fabulous golf course that's a Discovery Land Company property about an hour north of where I live in Westchester County. And if you go back and look at his first race, he ran deceptively great. He was super sharp. He just got tired. It was kind of a typical Bill Mott. Maybe he need the first race. And I think he'll run his eyeballs out on Sunday, uh, going seven furlongs. He's training great. He worked spectacular at Belmont on Sunday, just passed. So hopefully the race goes and he'll be in Sunday. Now, we love Reynolds Channel. But Reynolds Channel, he's a West Coast, but he's a typical two-turn giant monster. When we ran him on Saturday, it was a um, uh, seven-furlong race, but it was run like a sprint. They went 22-45. He got rushed up. We wanted him to take him back and give him a target. When you can't fall the weeds, when a horse breaks really sharp like that, you got to let him go on with it. But he wants no part of sprinting. When we bring him back uh, to, to Aqueduct in September and he can run a mile and settle, it's going to be a handful. He's a very special colt. Lee, you've obviously been very successful outside the racetrack. You talked about Grey Groose, now Casa Amigos. Um, and you also gave us a nice little antidote about how you use Mike Francesa to promote Grey Goose. Take a minute to take off your Casa Amigo hat and put on your horse racing hat. Right. Do you have any advice or suggestions from a, from a guy who's obviously very good at what you do? How can we better market and sell horse racing? Well, you know, that's a great question, Bill. When I'm involved in horse racing, I try not to think about the business side of it because for me, horse racing is a great escape from business. And I know you can you know, you understand that. I put in 60 to 70 hours a week, and when I get involved in racing, it's about my racing. I, I try not to. But I would just say this. When you put out a great product, people come. The crowds at Saratoga are amazing. The crowds at Keeneland are amazing, both in the spring and fall. 
I'd like to see less racing days, bigger fields, more quality fields. Nobody cares about a four or five horse race where you have no odds. So I'd like to see fewer days, not including Keeneland and Saratoga, but we'll say in the winter in New York, for example, California, the fields are so small, the purses are too small, we need fewer races and better races. And I think that would give give us a, a big a big leg up in attracting more people. I also think the folks from Naira, um, they've been slow to come around on. When you go to the races, I fully understand and have great appreciation for the history of the game. And those people who want to come in a suit and tie and sit in the owner's boxes, I sit in an owner's box. I have great admiration for that. But we should be able to come in shorts and a T-shirt like they do in Delmar. You'd have a better chance of attracting young people to come dressed up in 95-degree weather in upstate New York. I think we have to make it a lot more casual. And I would, at Saratoga, on Friday or Saturday night after the races, I'd have a giant band out there on the backside. I would sell tickets. I would have huge promotion after the races. That would draw people to the races, keep people there, put on a big party afterwards. I think it would be fantastic. With Casamigos, Reposado, Margaritas, by the way. Anybody who knows me well knows that I know your product probably too well. Uh, un- unfortunately, all I have is bottled water here instead of uh, instead of the real thing. Have you tried to get George Clooney into the horse business, by the way? Well, that's a great, great question. I'm asked that all the time. So the fact is, he grew up in Augusta, Kentucky, and as a kid, he walked hot to Keeneland. Really? He did. He loves the game. He sent me a text message after Casa Creed won on Saturday, and it said, Jesus Christ, Lee, will you get this horse to win from the front? He's going to give me a damn heart attack for being late all the time. <laughs> you know, his schedule is pretty crazy. He's got a lot going on in his life. Does amazing stuff and super busy with a charity that he's involved in. He's pulled in a lot of directions. But I'm hoping perhaps if all goes according to plan and Casa Creed makes it out to the Breeders' Cup in Santa Anita, if he's in L.A., I would hope that him and Randy Gerber and Mike Melman and their uh, significant others would all come out to the Breeders' Cup and walk into the paddock with us and wear their Casamigos hat and T-shirt and enjoy the day with us. So uh, I'm hopeful. I, I would be surprised if they didn't. I don't want to speak for them. They're totally into it. They watch every race. Randy, George, and Mike are the first ones to call me as soon as the race is over. Um, but I love George's text the other night. Oh, my God, this source is going to give me a heart attack. Please put him on the lead next time. <laughs> if he can run the I'm sure we put him there. It's just not his style. Well, I'm, I'm just going to put my hand up. If George Clooney comes to Santa Anita, can I be his personal <laughs> personal tour guide? I've, I've got no problems. I'll take one for the team. You know, whenever we go to the Breeders' Cup, they ask us, do we want an escort from the seats to the box, to, to the paddock? You, you got the job, I promise. All right. I'm in. <laughs> I promise. I'm in. Okay. So that leads me to my next question. What is one of your favorite moments you've ever had in horse racing? It doesn't have to be in the afternoon. It can be in the morning. Is there one poignant moment that sticks out to you? You know, when we beat Regal Glory last year in the four-star day, I thought that that might have been because she was three to five. There was an argument she was the best turf miler in the country, maybe in the world, either sex, 
and we handled it pretty easy. Now, when I picked up Saturday's racing form, the front cover was Annapolis, not Casa Creed. And I thought, we just beat him in the Kelso, right? They're putting him on the front cover. And the write-ups were all about Casa Creed got a better trip last time in the Kelso than Annapolis did. This year, Annapolis will be more forwardly placed. He'll get the jump on us. He'll probably win. We're giving him a pound. They made him the favorite. So I have to ask you a question and say, what happened in Saratoga Saturday was the best moment I've ever had in racing. Now, when I have a 20 claimer in aqueduct in February on a Friday, I'm excited to go to the track. But when you're running in a grade one at Saratoga on national TV, defending your title with a seven-year-old in a race as important as the four-star Dave and win it, and Randy is excellent, one of the best in the whole industry in analyzing a race, Randy, everything Randy, everything went against him. He had, yeah. every reason, he had every reason to run a good second. Annapolis was in front of us. He got the jump, which we knew I would get that done. It was soft turf. We tracked him. He opened up three. And Costa Creed has the heart of a champion and just warmed down and got there. You know, not by an inch, which you see in turf racing every day. So I have to say what we did on Saturday was – the best, the best so far. As a seven-year-old, back-to-back four-star Daves, his fourth grade one, under very unfavorable condition, race uh, run conditions. Yeah, that was the best one. That was the best one. And Lee, from what we have been told now, the plan going forward is no races between now and the Breeders' Cup. It'll be the Breeders' Cup mile and not the sprint. What has your Hall of Fame trainer told you about that strategy? And uh, yeah. you know, why is that the plan? So couple parts of that question. When we first knew that the Breeders' Cup was going to be at Santa Anita this year, I was so excited. Run this horse six and a half down the hill. Mm. Wow. What an opportunity. Because between six and seven, nobody can touch them in that race. Six and a half is amazing for them. And then we learned they're going to run it at five furlongs. So that that's out of the question. That That's way too short. So... Bill and I talked about it before the race. He's seven years old. He doesn't run good in Kentucky. He's never run good in Keeneland for some reason. So there's no reason to go to what used to be called the Shadwell. Um, there's a race in Woodbine. It's a fabulous race, the Woodbine Mile in mid-September. But I think it's really too soon. He runs great off a layoff. When he won the four-star day last year, he did it off a two-month layoff. So I think, given he's seven years old, went to Saudi Arabia, came home, run twice, won twice. And as you well know, Bill, when it comes to bringing a horse back off a layoff, an intermediate layoff, Bill Mott is the best. There's nobody like Bill Mott. He spaces the works. He knows how to get him ready. Um, I'd love to go over there with a fresh horse, and hopefully you get firm ground at Santa Anita in November. You should. And um, I, I go over there pretty confident. We don't know what's coming from Europe. I never duck a horse. When I read last night that Modern Games was retired, I slept a little better. That was fine. So it's a matter of Bill, seven years of age, no need to run him again. He's run three times this year, just missed in Saudi Arabia by a little bit, traveled halfway around the world. Um, so we'll be ready to roll. We hope so. Anything can happen between now and the first Saturday in November. But assuming no setbacks, 
and I don't want to jinx it, but he's never missed a day of training in his life. So I, I think we'll be in good shape. Well, Lee, I want to thank you so much for your time. What a neat horse. He, you yeah. know what? He's kind of like the new four-star Dave, actually, like that working-class hero that the race was named after. So congratulations on yeah, all your still. success. Yeah. And uh, it would be so I – mean, and as cool as it is to see him run at seven, boy, if we get him back next year at eight, that would be fabulous. It just so happen. All right. Lee, thanks so much for your time. Congratulations on thank all your you. success. And uh, we'll see you at the Breeders' Cup. Joey, Randy, great to be with everybody. Thanks for having me. Good to Take see care. you. And as this week's Lucky Green Group Guest of the Week, Lee Einsidler will receive a free one-hour consultation from Lynn Green and the Green Group. You can learn more about how they can save you money by going to www.greenco.com. Are you paying too much in taxes? The Green Group can help. There's a reason the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisors. They save you money and share successful strategies. Over the past 40 years, the Green Group founder, Len Green, has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport, like Eclipse Award-winning champions Jaywalk and Wonderwheel. His DJ stable competes at the highest level and has received the game's most prestigious honors. Len Green's in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge, combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies, has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the thoroughbred business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes. Introducing Giftbox, winner of the Grade 1 Santa Anita Handicap. He's a three-time graded stakes-winning millionaire with four triple-digit buyers and a four ragazin to his name. He proved himself early as a graded stakes place two-year-old, and now his career as a stallion is just getting started. From the first crop of the leading sire twirling candy out of a multiple graded stakes producing mare, Giftbox, only at Lane's End. The Lane's End Stallion of the Week is Twirling Candy. Twirling Candy is having yet another banner year. The sire of eight, no fewer than eight, grade one winners from eight crops to race added, exalted the winner of this year's Shoemaker Mile to that list in 2023. He is already the sire of no fewer than seven two-year-old winners in 2023, including the Bill Mott trained Sugar High, who graduated in Fabulous style opening week at Saratoga, winning by six lengths. At the recent Fazig Tipton Saratoga yearling sale, his top yearling sold for a million dollars to Chuck Sonson and West Point Thoroughbreds. A son of Candy Ride, Twirling Candy is following in his sire's legendary footsteps at Lane's End Farm. It won't be long till we'll be talking Travers and Travers news last week. Luis Saez will ride Mage. Javier Castellano will go with Archangelo. And it wasn't a matter of um, uh, Castellano making up his mind. The Mage people just gave him an ultimatum, said we need a decision, and he didn't give him an answer. They said, fine, then we'll just take Luis Saez. Um, now we're recording this on Wednesday. Keep that in mind. But Zoe, you said Archangelo was out this morning working. How did he look? He was out this morning under Javier Castellano, who's worked him the last three times, I do believe. And 
He looks great. The one thing I'll say about him, he's got fantastic energy. If you watch his daily gallops, he two-minute looks around this racetrack almost every day. And it's not like now he looks like a hat rack and he's doing too much in the morning. He had a beautiful work this morning in a minute and change of 101 under Javier. Finished up extremely willingly and galloped out nicely. And there's actually a great clip, if you follow Jenna Antonucci on Twitter, of her riding back. I think Donna Barton Brothers tweeted that her job might not be safe because Jenna was interviewing Javier on her pony walking back and they were doing the jock interview. It was actually really cool to see, but all thumbs up. And I think Javier feels like he's made the right decision. He certainly has in my book, judging by how well Archangelo is training at the moment. Some sad news in horse racing that broke this afternoon. Jerry Moss, best known in horse racing as the owner of Zenyatta and also Kentucky Derby winner Giacomo, and also had a terrific career in the music industry as the uh, part of A&M Records, along with Herb Albert, passed away at age 88 and uh, brings back great memories of Zenyatta. Uh, Zoe, I, I never got to know Mr. Moss all that well, but he was a California guy and you're a California gal. What can you tell us about him? Him and now his ex-wife, Anne, were around an awful lot at the track. And it was great to see someone so high up in the music business that you know the peons like myself would never get access to grant us access. And him and Anne were just so gracious with Zenyatta for the fans going back to the barn and meeting her. It really was a privilege to be around them during that era, 2012, with Zenyatta, where People were crazy about Zenyatta. They would queue up outside the gates of Santa Anita just to try and get a glimpse of her and get the posters and everything else that was going on around with her. He will be sorely missed. He really was not only a huge icon in the music, music industry, but to this day, you know, he, he had dwindling horses as far as numbers, but he was still fairly active in the business and just a great all-round guy. You can't do much more, much better in horse racing than to win the Kentucky Derby and the Breeders' Cup Classic. But as successful nope. as he was in horse racing, he was even more successful in the music industry. So uh, a remarkable guy. And the name Zenyatta came from the music industry because A&M Records had the police and they had the album Zenyatta Mandata, which is where that name came from. Okay, so weekend racing. Uh, Randy, um, you promised me that you'd take a quick look at the Alabama on Saturday, field of 10, wet paint coming off a win in the Coaching Club American Oaks for Brad Cox. I imagine she'll be the favorite in there. Tell us more about Saturday's Alabama at the spa. She should be a pretty solid favorite, I think. Uh, in the Coaching Club American Oaks, she overcame a relative lack of pace in there and still did her trademark thing coming from well back to win. Now she gets a race with a little more pace in it on paper, a longer distance at a mile and a quarter. Now she'll have to beat Sacred Wish and Gambling Girl again. They were second and third in the Coaching Club uh, American Oaks. Uh, but Chad Brown, uh, the defining purpose also will be in there. Chad Brown has a horse in there called Randomized, who won on opening day at Saratoga in a, a small stakes race called the Wilton and went wire to wire going a mile and ran a 97 buyer speed figure. Now, she looks much better on paper when she can make the early lead. And other than chocolate gelato, there's not a lot of other competing early speed in the Alabama. So for a price, you can do a lot worse than to try to go wire to wire with randomized. Now, Iran Ortiz had his choice. He could ride randomized or he could ride gambling girl. And he chose 
gambling girl. But as we saw in the best pal last weekend, sometimes the jockeys make the wrong choice if they have one. So I wouldn't necessarily uh, rule out randomized just because I read went another direction. All right, Zoe, you're up for the Delmar Oaks. What can you tell us? Saturday's feature at Delmar, grade one. All right, guys. Well, Bill, it's a field of 10. The entries just came out and there's an interesting shipper that comes in there from Saratoga. We've actually been watching her work in the morning. That's be your best. She needs to feel her feet rattle. Now, I don't know if she's going to be good enough to win this, but she's going to run a whole lot better than she ran in the Belmont Oaks. It says it was firm. It was probably a little bit squishy for her. Be your best certainly is going to be in there. There are several others that you need to take a look at, though. Ruby Nell will be my top choice in there for Hall of Famer Dick Mandela. If she gets loose on the lead with Edwin Maldonado aboard her like she did last time, you better watch out. And I think the only one that could possibly run her down is the filly drawn right to the outside of her for the red hot Leo Powell and Eclipse Thoroughbred Partners. That is Anna Set, who looks absolutely brilliant. She looked like she'd been shot out of a cannon when she won the San Clemente last time out. I think it's between the speed Ruby Nell and Anna Set drawn right to the outside of her. It's going to be a jocks race for me. Sunday at Woodbine, the King's Plate has been the Queen's Plate since 1952. Wow. All those years now, the King's Plate entries aren't out yet. They're expecting 17 horses in a wide open race. And after the winner declares they're not coming back in the Prince of Wales stakes at Fort Erie. Next week, we'll talk about how to fix the Canadian triple crown. How about that, guys? Uh, you know, on our, on our format, on our schedule, it said we're going to talk about the King's Plate. And I got to be honest with you, I thought, what is that? <laughs> that's a race. That's a race I'm not familiar with. So I started trying to look up the King's Plate, and then it hit me. Oh, okay. Uh, R.I.P. Queen Elizabeth, but now we have the King's Plate instead of the Queen's Plate. Can you imagine that? It was the Queen's Plate for seventy years. Unbelievable. Talking about the longevity of Queen Elizabeth II, and uh, uh, always interesting. Um, Field of seventeen, Elijah Field from Mark Cassie, a filly that won the Woodmine Oaks. Perhaps will be the favorite in there, but certainly wide open. I think Kalik is going to be the favorite for Chad. Oh, that's Brown. right, the Chad Brown. Yeah, yeah. Chad Brown, the collected. He he's already the favorite. Two fillies are going to be running in it: Elysium Fields and Winchester. I think for Kevin Attard, who won it last year with the filly Moira. Yeah. That was quite a scoop for the Avengers. Do want to remind you the TDN Writers Room is brought to you by XBTV. And this week's XBTV Work of the Week is actually a pair of Travers Bound workers. We managed to catch Forte and Tappet Trees working a half mile together over the Saratoga main track. On Thursday, Forte was on the outside with the Rad Ortiz without the blinkers, working very, very nicely. And on the inside was the Tappet Sun Tappet Trees, who was ridden by Fernando Rivera that went through a half mile. In 48.33, Todd Pletcher simply saying right after the work, we got what we were hoping for. Looks like those two will be Travers bound and we'll be right back after this message. All the thrills. Fraction of the bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life, make new friends, and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. 
West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com. The TD and Riders Room, also brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. This is like my favorite line of the show. Joining a West Point partnership can vault you into the world of instant camaraderie. Not only is it catchy, it also happens to be true. And West Point had an excellent Saratoga meet. They're having an excellent meet. Look at what they did in the phasing Tipton sale alone. Uh, they came away with six yearling colts from that illustrious sale. And they also had a good week on the track this past week. Gal in a rush won an allowance for her second straight win. And a terrific run from Stone Silent in the Galway Stakes to be second in that race by a net at odds of 10 to 1. That's a wrap on another edition of the TDN Riders Room. We had lots of fun this week. Hopefully we uh, solved the triple crown dilemma, the three of us, and uh, everybody's going to live happily ever after. We'll see how what happens with that. But I want to thank my cohorts, Randy Moss and Zoe Cabman, our Green Group guests of the week, Lee Einseidler, our co-producers, Katie Petruniak and Anthony LaRocca, and our editors, Leah LaRocca and Nathan Wilkinson. Thanks for tuning us in. Talk to you next week here on the TDN Riders Room.